0: that all the work the Holy Spirit does, falls into one of these categories. And the issue for us is to recognize, where is he working in my life? Where is he working at in my life? What is he trying to teach me in my life? Now understand this basic principle also. Too many Christians are trying to take the role of the Holy Spirit. Melvin's lesson this morning fits very well with the message that is following now. The woman at the well. Now I want you to hear this. Her job was to witness, not to convict. Your job is to witness, to be an example of what it is to be a godly woman, a godly man. It is not your job to convict people or make them feel guilty about what they're doing. That's not your job. That's the work of the Holy Spirit to do that. And no one else can do that. You can talk until you're blue in the face. You can talk until your last breath. People don't change because of what you say, they change because of the Holy Spirit working in them. Whether it be an unbeliever or a believer. Now, If you are trying to play the Holy Spirit, stop. And ask God to teach you how to be a witness. A witness. Because you cannot convert anybody. You can't save anybody. You can't change a person's life in the way in which God desires that person to live. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now all the work of the Holy Spirit is within these three essential areas. Let's go to John and we're going to pick back up in this next week. But I want to give you these three essential areas that you can start looking at it yourself Chapter 14, we're going to start at verse 5. We talk about the absence of men being in church. Men have lost their identity. And when men lose their identity, women lose their identity. This little statement is true. Everything wrong in our society, everything wrong in our culture, everything wrong in our family falls at the feet of one person. Man. 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 When men do not identify with God, They have lost their identity. They can only be the type of man that they perceive or think they can be, but they never become the type of man God desires them to be. That's the big difference. Starting in that verse 5 of John 14. He says, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. I'm in verse 6, verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So, how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, You haven't got that underlined in. If you really what? Knew me. You would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip says, Lord, show us the father. And that will be enough for us. And he says, Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? See, that's one of the problems with Christianity. Philip knew him, but didn't what? Know him. Men, you can know your wife and don't know your wife. You can know your children or think you know your children and Don't know your children. And the question he says to Philip, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. Believe me. What did he say? Believe me. Believe me. Believe me. Believe me. Go over to John chapter 16 now. Believe me. Believe me. Do you really believe the word of God? Believe me. Up in verse, let's go back to verse five again. Now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you ask me where are you going? because I have said these things you are filled with grief, but I tell you the truth, it is for your what good now, wonder. At that moment, how did the disciples feel when he says, this is for your good? Have you ever been whooping your child and you tell your child, this is for your... Now, that's awful hard for them to believe that it's really for their good. Or you're punishing them and you're not allowing them to go somewhere. And you're trying to explain, this is for your good. That's hard for them to believe or accept. And Jesus says, I'm going away. Still hold on to what Jesus said in that last part. Do you believe me? But I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go I will send him to you. And what Jesus is saying, I cannot be here in the Holy Spirit here at the same time. We have two different works. I've finished my work. I'm going back to the Father to demonstrate that my work is what? Complete. It's finished. And I'm going to mediate for you. Because there's one who stands there always bringing charges against you. And I'm going to be your lawyer. I'm going to advocate on your behalf. And I'm also going to demonstrate that the sacrifice has been made that has been required for the Father now to begin to work in the lives of all people. And he will send the Holy Spirit. Now stay with me in scripture here as we move along. When he comes go to verse 8. When he comes he will convict the world of what? Of guilt. Now catch this other little phrase in regard to sin. Do you believe me? Do you believe me? We don't believe until we are convicted by the Holy Spirit. Intellectually, I can accept it. Living it out becomes my problem because that takes conviction. I can understand certain things intellectually. But how God works is by faith. And the conviction that he is going to work and he's going to move in his time. And that he's faithful and he will do it. And he says, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt. That's the first thing that he has to do. He has to convict us. Do you believe me? They weren't convicted to believe. A lot of people believe but never been convicted to, lead, to believe, so they only believe upon a human level of belief. But when you begin to really be convicted about God's Word and God speaks and God says, you step out in faith and begin to see God work. And He says, He will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin. Not plural sin, but one sin. Against Jesus, not believing in Jesus. One sin. Until you get that one sin taken care of, the Holy Spirit doesn't deal with any of the others. Because none of the other sins you can go out and get drunk every night. You can go out and commit adultery every weekend. You can go out and fornicate all you want. You can even kill people. None of that sends you to hell. But we often believe we go to hell because of our sins. No. You go to hell because of one sin. Disbelief in Jesus Christ. And until that's taken care of, none of these other things really matter. But when that's taken care of, then the Holy Spirit begins his work of straightening out everything else. And that's why the next area which he convicts us in is simply this. He goes on, he says, in regard to sin, the next one is righteousness. Every man sees himself what? Right in his own what? His own eyesight. Every one of us see ourselves right. But Romans 3 tells us there's none that is righteous. No, not what? Not even one. But every one of us see ourselves right in our own eyesight. And the Holy Spirit has to come in and really teach us what is right. And then he moves to the third one. And in regard of judgment, in regard of judgment, every person is going to be judged. Nobody's going to miss that. Even Satan. And God wants you to know, which is in this text, he's already been judged. Now, I want to leave this for this week, and we're going to go over those words next week and further explain them. But I want us to take a picture at the work that the Holy Spirit has to do in the life of people, in a sense. And hopefully that we can see it in scripture as we go through it. I want to give you three types of people that the Holy Spirit has to deal with. First is that unbeliever. He does nothing else in that unbeliever's life other than to try to bring that individual to a point of receiving and accepting Jesus Christ. Because nothing else will send you to hell other than your disbelief on the person of Jesus Christ. The second is that issue of righteousness. But the person he has to deal with now about righteousness and righteous living is the person who says they're a Christian and born again. They have the righteousness of the world down. Therefore, it's okay for Christians today, and you'll hear it in their own language speak. speaking, is that I'm not against homosexuality, I'm not against a lesbian, I'm not against a transgender, I'm not against this. And you're right, you shouldn't be against the person. You're against the lifestyle. When man tries to redefine what God has stated, then we're in trouble. And God said there's only male and female. And when we try to add all these other groups in, we cause confusion. And what we're saying then, God lied and didn't tell us the truth. And he says there's only a man and a woman. Now people with their free will thinking and so forth, their whole thing is, if God gave me free will, why can't I just do whatever I want to do based on this very fact? God made you human and not a bird. Why can't you fly? Because as a human being, God put limits on you as a human being. So that bird can do something that you can't do. That bird can jump off the bridge and not go straight down, but just float out near. Why? God made him that way. Why can't you jump really from tree to tree? If you watch Tarzan close enough, you'll see the swing set in there that he was swinging on. But the whole thing is this here. A monkey somehow has the ability to jump from one place to another place, from tree to tree and the limb, and as much of that monkey ways, you think he would break the limb that he's on, but yet it doesn't. And I know if I tried to grab that limb... It would break God confined us within limits based on who we are in his creation as big as a bear is I wish I could outrun a bear I'm smaller than he is by all reasoning I should be able to what? outrun a bear All that weight he has to carry. So we never put somebody weighing 260 pounds, 200, 300 pounds against somebody who only weighs 110 pounds and a 100-yard dash. We don't do it. Based just on size. Because God has restricted us in these areas. Now, the second person the believer, all this stuff that he thinks is right, he's been trained by the world mentally. And that's why God says in Ephesians, renew your what? Renew your mind. For as a man thinketh, Proverbs tells us in 17, he thinketh. As a man thinketh, so is he. As a man thinketh, so he does. And God is saying, if you're really going to be my child and live for me, we got to revamp your thinking. we got to teach you how to think. we got to teach you who you are. And that's why the word righteousness is there. Because every individual in their own action thinks they're right. And the dumbest thing you ever hear is this. don't affect nobody else. Everything you do affects somebody else. Everything I do affects her. And my decisions always have to be made also with her in mind. Every decision I make affects my children. Why? God made me the head of what? Of my household. And every decision I make, I have to take that whole household under consideration. Be why? It's going to affect them. It's not just me quitting a job when I quit a job. I get upset with my supervisor when I quit and I walk off. I go home and tell my wife, I just quit. Then go through her mind, how are we going to pay the mortgage? How am I going to buy food? How am I going to clothe my children? Well, I didn't think about that when I lost my temper with my supervisor and I quit. But when I tell her, her mind shifts into something else. Thinking about things I never even thought about. I'm just not going to allow nobody to push me around. I'm not going to allow nobody to talk to me that way. I'm not going to... What my decisions I make affect her. So god got to deal with what I think is right and correct that from a biblical position. Now the third person he has to deal with, the Holy Spirit has to deal with, is that person... Who calls themselves a Christian, whether they be a nominal Christian, just someone who's Christian in name, or they are a carnal Christian. They are saved. And in Romans 12, it says they don't have a sincere love for God. For he says to love sincerely. How many of you love God sincerely? You're serious about being a Christian. You're really serious about living. Now, I'm not saying being perfect. None of us are going to be perfect until we're with him. I still make foolish mistakes. And I got someone who lets me know about it too. (laughs) And and the whole process is that the Holy Spirit got to deal with that one who says they're a Christian. Now, catch this. He has to deal with them in the same way, basically, that he has to deal with the unbeliever. Why? Because they will not believe what Jesus has said. When we catch all the young men who say they are Christians, out here fathering children and aren't married, and all the young women who wind up being pregnant without being married, only thing that it is telling us is this. They did not believe what scripture says, that marriage is confined where at within the marriage bed in Hebrews. That's all. They didn't believe it. Even after two or three children. And who has the hardship? They have the hardship because they wouldn't what? Believe. Then you got a man who got the gumption to go downtown. They're asking too much money from me. Now you didn't father. who supposed to take care of them children? I didn't do it. Jasper didn't do it. Brother Henry didn't do it. But out of our tax money we're supposed to do what? Raise somebody else's children. But we don't think that way. But that unbelief, I'm in that situation because of my what? My unbelief of what Jesus has said. And the Holy Spirit has to deal with that believer who says that they believe, but will not believe to a point in which They follow what God's word says. Catch the picture? So the Holy Spirit got to deal with the unbeliever, the believer, and the one who says they are a Christian, but are carnal, or worldly, or don't have a sincere love for the Lord. Now go to Romans chapter twelve, nine, don't run too fast. Go to Romans twelve nine and look what he says here. Because what he says, you find the traits. When you find someone who really believed the Lord Jesus Christ, you find traits in their life that fits biblical truth. When you find somebody who's all talk, you don't find the traits in their life that show that they really believe what God's word says. Now understand what God says in Acts. At one time he winked at ignorance. He doesn't wink at ignorance any longer. There was a time that people didn't have a Bible. There was a time there was not a printing press. There was a time you had to wait for someone to tell you what truth was. Today, the only thing you got to do is open a book. And it will tell you how you are to live. So, in Romans chapter 12, go to verse 9. And this is part of the problem with that one who says they're a Christian but live like the world he says love must be what? sincere now any woman or man who will accept someone that they say they love and that person don't really sincerely, sincerely love them is a fool And God is saying, I'm no fool. Either you sincerely love me or you don't. I hope none of you out here would want somebody who really don't want you. That you would really love somebody who could care less if you lived or died. but that you really want somebody in your life that sincerely, sincerely loves you. And that's what God is after. People who sincerely love him. Not just when it fits their fancy, not just when it's occasionally nice to visit, but people who really have a heart after him. And he says, sincerely love. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to that which is good. In other words, God defines boundaries for you right there. If it's considered evil, do what with it? Hate it. And then love what is what? Good. And as you get into scripture, As Melvin was saying last week, memorizing scripture. Memorize scripture, but also memorize the content in which that scripture is being stated. And the Lord will show you what is good in scripture. And then you love that. You run after that. You live for that. But you hate The sin or that which is evil. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Because this is where a lot of Christians are stuck at. Those who do not have a sincere love for the Lord. And that may be a huge problem today in the church. I'm going to take a little saying from Charles Stanley. If you go into a church and they never open the Bible, run. Run. Because the only thing the person is going to be able to give you is their life and what they think is valuable. And the only thing you're going to have is a good philosophy class maybe. But when you're in a church that opens that Bible, Open yours with it and follow step by step, word by word. What changes us? Faith cometh by what? Hearing the word. And if the word gets in here enough, it changes this. It changes this. But you have to hear it over and over and over and over Again. See, I was a sheet metal man for many years. It took me a while. I could cut metal with my right hand pretty good. It took me a while to learn how to cut with the left sears and the right where I could take a sheet of metal and just cut right down and and use both hands. It takes practice and a lot of times Christians, they just think they're Christians by their age. And by their age, they know everything. Because I'm this old. And yet the Bible defines you as a child. Because you're just beginning. You just discovered the Lord at 40 years old. And the Bible says you're a babe in Christ. Me? I'm 40 years old. I'm no babe. The only thing the Bible is saying, you don't know scripture. Now it starts the process of learning. And he goes on there in chapter 3. Start with me verse 1. Again, this is this one who believes. And we're going to get to the believer and the non-believer in a minute. But this is the one who says they believe. Look how Paul addresses them. Brothers. Brothers. I don't think Paul used that word loosely. He's identifying that they are in the family of God, brothers. He says, I could not address you as spiritual. I could not talk to you in a way in which you are someone who are being led by the Spirit, or you really walk in the Spirit. He said, I couldn't talk to you in a spiritual sense. But I had to bring it back down to what? Worldly. Know that old saying? You start where the people are. And sometimes that's where you have to start. You have to start where the people are. And then begin to build. And Paul says, I had to speak to you as worldly. Guess this other word? As mere infants in Christ. Now I like that the Holy Spirit put the word in there, in Christ. Christ because it's identifying again they're where at they're in Christ, but they are not living up to the potential that God has availed for them, has given to them. They're still living in their own carnal mind. They're living their way, doing things their way. And the scripture says, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways do what? Acknowledge God, or in other words, search for God's answer. Don't be satisfied with just your own mental, intellectual answer. Search and take that and ask yourself this question. God, what would you do? God, what would you have me to do? God, how should I live through this? And sometimes when you're even talking with people... You ask this question, God, should I speak? And you wait for him to guide you in what you're going to say. He says, you're still infants. Yes, you're saved. But you're infants. An infant is someone who has to yet learn how to walk. And many Christians who say they are Christians have not learned how to walk in a godly manner. That's not saying they're not in Christ. That's not saying they're not saved. But they have not learned how to walk in a spiritual manner, listening to the Holy Spirit as they are guided through life. Now, he goes on and he says, I gave you milk and not solid food. Who drinks milk only? The babe. You don't bring a babe home from the hospital and feed it a steak. It's the milk. It's what they can digest. And too many Christians are still living on what? What? Milk. Too many grown men, women, still have to treat like children. They have to provide a place for them to stay. They have to provide something for them to ride around in. They have to give them $20, $30. They give them an an allowance. You've been a good boy here. See, A man loses his dignity and self-esteem when a woman takes care of him. God made a man to work. And in his work, he finds his self-esteem. He finds his confidence. He finds himself, in a sense, in his work. Why? God created him to work. Any woman who works for a capable man that can work but won't work, again, is foolish. And you're one of the downfalls of man that Satan uses. Because God wants to build that man and God wants to see that man shoulder the responsibilities that he has laid upon the man and not the woman. And Paul says, I had to feed you with milk, not with food. And he goes on and he says, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. Now, sometime in the church, We get confused just because we think everybody say that they're a Christian, they're all on the same level. In the church, there's all these different levels. Just like in a grade school, there's kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth, then on over to junior high, and then the high school, then the college, and then on beyond that. But the only institution that really don't grade its people is the church. That is the job of the Holy Spirit. Everybody else's job is to be an encourager. We encourage one another. We encourage one another. We build up one another. Have you ever seen one of these optimistic persons? I don't care how bad it looks. They got something good coming out of it. That's my wife. Elaine sees something good in everything. I'm a realist. This is what it is. (laughs) We got to deal with this. But when we look at people, do you look at just what is bad? Or do you believe there's something good there we just got to help them? to discover it and work on it. As a church, we should be here to encourage each other, not to put each other, what? We want to lift everybody up. Understanding all of us are on a different level. But I can encourage a kindergarten. And I can encourage somebody with a Master's degree, doctor's degree, I can encourage. We all can encourage. And that's the church. But it's the Holy Spirit who has to convict the person. This is God's truth. Now walk in it. This is God's truth. Now live it. This is God's truth for your good. That's the work of the Holy Spirit to do that. And Paul is dealing with these people but not just Paul but the one who is silent and not being seen is the Holy Spirit who is giving Paul the wisdom to deal with this carnal minded Christian with this worldly Christian and the Holy Spirit is working there now ask this question as an illustration. Where's the clock at? Slow it up, Lord. And uh, How many of you have ever had a splinter in, there in, in your hand? How many of you have ever had a something in your eye? Have you ever had a splinter in your hand you don't see but you can feel it? Have you ever had something in your eye, you don't see it, but somebody else pulls that lid up. Oh, there's a little piece of hair there. But you know it's what? You know it's there. Now, that's the Holy Spirit. You may not see him, but you know him because he's there. He's there. He's there. Now, go to John Chapter 14, that's a page back over, a couple books back over. St. John chapter 14, and go to verse 17. Back in 14. Go to verse 17. Look how it starts off in that verse 17. The spirit of truth. That's one of the titles of the Holy Spirit. One of the names, titles, however you want to say it. He is the Spirit of Truth. What is he telling us? The Holy Spirit will not lie to you. The Holy Spirit is not going to deceive you. The Holy Spirit is not going to trick you. The only thing the Holy Spirit is going to do with you is teach you truth. Period. And he's called the Spirit of Truth. Now, let's go another step. The world cannot accept him. The truth that the Holy Spirit has to say to us, we're not willing to accept it. We're not willing to believe it. We're going to work it out our way. We're going to do our thing. But the Holy Spirit is saying, that's the wrong thing. Guy, just look at his qualities. None of them hit biblical qualities. Look at this woman. Does she fit any biblical qualities? Look at this employee. Do they fit any biblical qualities? And see, for the Christian, as we get into the Word, it teaches us what to look for. It teaches us what to look for. And The Holy Spirit isn't accepted by the world because everything the world is doing is basically wrong. And the Holy Spirit is not going to tell me I'm wrong. That I'm wrong. See, one of the things that the Holy Spirit teaches a man is how to sacrifice. Sacrifice. A man who doesn't know how to sacrifice is a man who will not take care of his family because his whole thing is to sacrifice for his family. Where does that come from? That comes from God. He emptied heaven in the person of Jesus Christ because he cared for what he created and he gave. So what does a man learn how to do? is to sacrifice and to give for his family. To give for his wife. To give for his children. To make those sacrifices that are necessary for them to achieve. And what does God want us to to do? Achieve. To achieve. To be victorious in life not so much successful in life. If we we define success by the world, God is out the picture. But God wants you to be a successful godly woman, a successful godly man. And the world cannot accept the rules that the Holy Spirit is going to lay down, so they reject it. They run away from it. They don't want to hear it. And he says, he's not accepted by the world. And he says, the world cannot accept him. Now listen to this. Because it neither sees him nor knows him. Now let's pause right there for a moment. They don't see him. Do you see the person... Of the Holy Spirit. Do you see the person. Of the Holy Spirit. And the answer to that is no. Why? He never. Took on a bodily form. As Jesus did. So we don't see him. And the unbeliever don't see him. But the next word that follows. Is what is important. Know him. Now that splinter and that thing in the eye, you may not see the splinter, but it's what? It's there. And there's evidence that it's there. There's evidence that there's a splinter right in here somewhere. And sometimes when well, I'm getting a splinter out of Elaine's hand and she's getting it out of my hand we got to take that magnifying glass and really find before we're going to start digging with the needle. But we know it's there. And same thing with the eye. You may not see what's in your eye, but you what? You know it's there. So neither the believer or the unbeliever sees the Holy Spirit. But he makes this thing known. The unbeliever doesn't know the Holy Spirit. The believer knows the Holy Spirit. How do you know him? By the work he does in your life. The changes he make in your life. The doors he open in your life. The attitude change that is in you personally. How you begin to To care more about others than yourself. How you begin to really love God and his word and follow it. The Holy Spirit becomes very evident by the work that he performs in us and through us. Someone you don't like and you find yourself yet being kind to him. And a month ago you wouldn't have done that. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And that becomes the evidence that he's in your life. He's in your life. You don't see him. But he's there. Let's close with this verse here. Again, he says, The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. You who believe, know him, for he lives with you and will be where? In you. If the Holy Spirit is living in you. When Elaine and I first got married, even though we dated for five years, there was very little I knew about it. but after 56 years of marriage, I knew quite a bit about her. Elaine didn't need me. I learned that in marriage. She's always been a hard worker. So she didn't need me per se. to just Take care of her. She could do that on her own. But she loves me. Yesterday she came in from the grocery store, had a big grin on her. She said, Look in the freezer, see what I got you. Klein Dock bars. That is real love, Dick. That is real love. Hey, hey. And brought those climbed out bars. Hey, that's love, you see. And, and, and the whole process, the evidence of her love comes out, evidence of my love for her comes out. If someone is living in you, well, with you, the evidence of that individual comes out. Bob, what is it that Roger really enjoy eating? I mean, that is right. <laughs> and we can go right on, say, what is that Mark really like to eat? When you live with somebody for a while. Joanne, what is it that Charles really loved eating? Chicken. Well, there's somebody else up there too, chicken. (laughs) When you live with someone, the evidence of that person and their love for you comes out. And when that little voice in there says, go at it, he's giving you the green light to run at it. But when he says stop, that's the wrong way. That red light cuts on and you're the one that has to listen and stop and be willing to change direction. And the Holy Spirit is in your life for the purpose of changing your life, giving you new direction teaching you what the world hasn't taught you. How to live in a way that pleases God. Not about self, but pleases God. But I guarantee this, if you please God, you're going to be satisfied and happy. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that we can know the Holy Spirit lives in us. And that, Lord, he demonstrates his love for us, his care for us, by teaching us what is right, by helping us to identify what is good and evil. Lord, if there are those here today that somehow... Just read your word, but don't really look for you to speak to them as they're reading your word. Would you surprise them? Would you give them thoughts about your word as they read? Would you speak to them that they might know the presence of the Holy Spirit is in that room with them? that he's in them and he wants to teach he wants to open up a whole new life for them and Lord would you teach us to pray it tells us Lord in Thessalonians pray without ceasing in other words to pray about everything would you teach us Lord before we act before we do to ask you is this what you would have of us is this is the way you would have us to handle this is this the way you would have us to answer is this what you would want me to do Lord train us I pray to hear you help us to distinguish our own voice the voice of friends and others who would counsel us help us oh God To distinguish you speaking unto us. You are a living God. And you want to teach us. And we can't learn, Lord, unless you speak to us. Would you speak, oh God? Would you make your presence ever so real in our life? And Lord, we'll give you praise and give you all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen.